Well, greetings, brethren. Welcome to the Feast of Tabernacles 2012. Just seems like yesterday when the feast was here, just 2011. And a lot has happened in prophecy and a number of other things, as Dr. Meredith has been keeping you informed, and the others at headquarters have been telling all of us that prophecy is moving ahead at giant leaps. Brethren, have you noticed during this period of time of the Feast of Tabernacles how so often each of us tends to get involved Involved in the spirit of the feast, and that's a wonderful thing. But do we forget, brethren, that we've got to then take these lessons that we're learning today, and we've got to move forward now in our lives as we leave the Feast of Tabernacles and carry those on in our lives. One of the biggest lessons that I've had to learn over the years is a lesson in faith. Brethren, each of us this year in 2012 has been tested in some form or another in faith. And each of us has had to see ourselves grow in those areas. And sometimes maybe we see the lack of growth and the more that we need in faith. So I'd like to encourage you at this Feast of Tabernacles to think deeply about the hope that lies before us. Let's turn to Micah 4, Micah 4, verse 1. And let's beginning to read, as we see here, it says, But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and the people shall flow unto it. What a beautiful time that will be, brethren, when that really does happen. And it really will happen. You can believe it. You can have faith in what God says. Let's go on into verse 2. And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountains of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and he, we will walk in his paths. And the law, for the law, notice that, for the law shall go forth out of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's right. It will be a society that keeps God's law. It will be a really, a truly a world government ruled by those who have been converted, as we'll see here in one verse here in just a moment. Let's continue reading. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. Oh, if we only had that today, brethren, if we had people who were willing to be at peace with one another. But everywhere we look, we see more and more trouble and frustration going on. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And in this sermon on faith, it's interesting that it will conclude with a story that is based on, on war, and yet at the same time, it reflects our Christian warfare, as we will see. Notice, though, in verse 4, But they shall set every man under his vine and, and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. And, you know, the world is based on fear. And yet there will be no one again afraid, brethren, anymore. 
Notice what it says in verse 5, and here's the key for this whole entire sermon. If you get anything out of this on this mustard seed of faith, get this, brethren, understand, for all people will walk every one in his name, uh, in, the, in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Very clearly we see here, brethren, a wonderful scripture of a time when individuals will represent that government of God. What about each of us? Are we representing that government of God today in our lives? Do we really reflect that government of God in every aspect of what we do, in every way, in every uh, thought, every action? Is it all outflowing and giving instead of inflowing and coming in and and getting. Brethren, let's turn and look at a history, a historical fact. A time in Japan's history, as we turn to this uh, particular sermon, in this sermon on the seed of faith. Let's turn to Matthew 17 and verse 20. Matthew 17 and verse 20. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing shall be impossible for you. How about it? Are we moving those mountains in our lives, brethren, as individuals who will represent in the future? the government of God, who should be representing that future right now, today, in their lives. Are we moving those mountains today? Are we practicing that way of life that really reflects Jesus Christ? Well, we turn to a historical fact or a story in the past in Japan's history. Now, Japan, as you know, in the early years of the 50s, took on to resurrect some of the prehistoric history of Japan and the world in the form of the old black-and-white dinosaur movies, as some of you will remember from the past. Those of you who are younger can turn on a TMC and a, a TC, uh, Turner uh, Classics, I believe it is, and uh, you can uh, uh, you know, see a very interesting, almost laughable uh, way that those uh, uh, particular caricatures were turned into uh, some movies of, of uh, f- fantasy. And yet we go to this corner of Japanese history of real science in the mud of a farmland 25 miles southeast of Tokyo, brethren, that a team of workmen found what they were not looking for. That's right. They said it's alive. It's alive. A prehistoric part of history. And as they uncovered that piece of history, the workmen were digging in a peat deposit not far from Tokyo. They had found something different, brethren, something unique. That's how a team of archaeologists heard the story as it was told to the news media. And so there was only one particular very humble archaeologist, a Dr. Olga, that was called onto the scene, who had a love for his work unparalleled in Japan. Now, brethren, 
we have a work to do. Is it unparalleled in our life, you know, a, a, um, a constant drive to do the work of God, to get this message of the soon coming kingdom of God, of, of Jesus Christ, which will come to this earth? Have we that drive, brethren, to get that to this earth? You know, this message must go out. And yet, in smaller ways, other individuals, as this scientist, as this archaeologist, had an unparalleled love for his work, too. And so he was notified, as we continue with the story, and rushed from Tokyo to the excavation site to view this finding, brethren, that was so unique. As he peered down into the bog, his eyes fell on its secret, and his pulse quickened, brethren. Was it dormant, or was it possibly alive? The scientists were not afraid, as all their lives they had prepared for this particular event, as each of us, brethren, have prepared for this event of Jesus Christ's coming, of becoming a member in the family of God. Is it that real to us? Is our hope and the love of the things that we are doing today that real that that faith inside of us grows each day? Well, let's see this minor example in history and see if we can draw a lesson from it. But they knew that this find must somehow be removed to a safe place. So they took this find and they took it to the laboratory. And as they had seen in the past, many discoveries that were frozen in ice, and they had drawn some caricatures and and perhaps some unusually different, uh, you know, black and white monster movies or whatever it was from the past. This, on the other hand, brethren, was real. Just as our life and our drive in this world is real to attain that goal and to be in the family of God, this was real, brethren. And it had been preserved, perhaps for thousands of years. And as it turned out, it was at least a thousand years old, as many laboratory scientists had tested it. But then they decided to do a round-the-clock vigil, and they put it under the right climatic conditions in the laboratory, and the dedicated doctor, having faith that something would occur, did all of the things that was necessary to make this particular uh, situation or uh, item come alive. And all of a sudden, something happened. It was alive. The cameramen were summoned to record this unprecedented event. And in Japan, scientific community was alerted, and to their surprise, this life that was left over from a time that perhaps the Roman armies marched across Europe from antiquity that had survived, the chain of actions that had led to a lifeless thing, or so-called lifeless thing, to come alive, had now joined them in the present, brethren. For the discovery in the mud, 18 feet below, cradled in the fossil remains of a canoe that they had found, a 1,000-year-old, approximately estimated, germinated, dormant, uh, lifeless, or so-called lifeless seed. A very tiny, little seed. And after four days, it had sprouted, and after 14 months, it became a beautiful pink 
delicate lotus flower. Brethren, just like all of us who right now may seem like unmolded clay at times, God is molding us and teaching us and grooming us, and we are growing. And eventually, if we have that seed of faith inside of us to move mountains, we will grow into a beautiful lotus flower. The seed that went to sleep over a thousand years ago was alive. What about the seed of faith inside of us? Is it alive or is it growing cold? Is it growing dormant or maybe growing lifeless? Each of us, brethren, must measure ourselves as we understand really the lesson of the mustard seed. On this Feast of Tabernacles 2012, it's essential that each of us understand this lesson of the mustard seed of faith. So as we read in Matthew 17 and verse 20, this little tiny seed of faith can actually move mountains. Do you want to move mountains in your life? Do you want to understand the faith? What is it, the faith, that prevents us from moving those mountains? In the New Testament, the mustard seed, a very, very small seed, is used by Jesus as a model for the kingdom of God, which initially starts small but grows to be the biggest of all garden plants. If you've ever seen it, brethren, it grows in the colder climates. I grew up in western New York, and we used to spend a lot of time in Canada. It's interesting that up there, it seems like that's where most of the mustard is grown from mustard seeds. Notice what it says in Matthew 13 and verse 31. Matthew 13 and verse 31. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed, in verse 32, is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. The growth of this seed does make a difference, brethren. It really does. You know, if when we begin to understand all about seeds, or at least this little snippet of what we can discuss here in this short time we have together on this in this sermon, let's understand a little just about mustard seeds. Notice historically what this uh, what mustard seeds uh, generally take three to ten days to germinate if placed under the proper conditions, similar to our lotus seed story at the beginning of the sermon which includes a cold atmosphere. Now, that's quite significant. It must be a cold atmosphere for that seed to germinate. Now, as we know, the love of many is going and is, at this time, growing colder and colder in this world. And yet, at the same time, are we swept up as members in the church of God? Are we swept up into all of the events that are happening instead of learning to grow that mustard seed of faith inside of us? It's interesting, though, as this... uh, Almanac says that these grow in a cold atmosphere and and relatively moist soil. So the mustard seed must have water or moist soil, but it grows in a cold climate. And it grows well in very temperate regions. And that's why uh, up in Canada, about 90% of all the mustard comes from Canada and other places and, and some places in the United States and other places around the world. 
Seeds, though, also in general, as well as the mustard seed, need water, just as Christians need living waters to grow. That's right, God's Holy Spirit, brethren, to sprout and grow faith, which can only come from when we ask in prayer, brethren, for God's Holy Spirit. Now, I will address that issue at the end of the sermon, as you will see. Prayer is an essential ingredient in obtaining this oil, as we'll see in a moment, because mustard seeds are also a rich source of oil, believe it or not. The seed has oil as high as 46 to 48 percent, according to this source that I'm quoting. And our oil, God's Holy Spirit, must be high in us, too, as well, brethren. Each of us must understand that we've got to have God's Holy Spirit in order to obtain more of that with which, which we seek, that is, the faith to really grow and to change. Mustard greens and mustard seeds, interestingly, just as a side point, are the oldest known herbal remedies for a great number of health conditions. Originated from the Mediterranean areas, the mustard seeds were used in ancient Rome and Greece. I recently had a situation where uh, I was uh, uh, receiving an examination from a doctor and some advice and so on, and um, he suggested eating more greens. Well, I normally eat salads, but eating more of the specialized greens because they can really be healthy and healthful and, uh, and for my particular situation. So it has helped, and it's amazing how that it has a healthy benefit so that the seeds themselves grow then into plants which have healthy benefits. How about each of us as Christians? Do we produce healthy benefits for other people? Or are we all incoming and into ourselves? Notice what it also says here that um, in most modern kitchens, both mustard seeds and mustard greens are used for a variety of purposes to spice up sandwiches. That's right. When you think about it, brethren, when you have, you know, hold the mayo and put the mustard on or whatever... You know, you spice up your sandwich. Are you in the church of God as an individual Christian to spice up the congregation? Then, brethren, you better be spreading that mustard on, if you please, of Christian love and hope in the congregation, growing that mustard seed of faith inside of yourself. And notice what else it says. Of course, for salads and other meals to, pre- you know, to preserve pickles. Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that when I started this sermon. Was you used to preserve pickles and so forth? Are you here to preserve and to and to really live this way of life so that people have an example, so that they see the way we are, the way we we live as individual Christians in this world? Even though it's growing cold, are we growing warmer? Are we growing hotter? Are we growing stronger in faith? God places us in his church for all types of reasons, brethren. Are we here to spice things up? Are we here to preserve and to help and to grow God's church? Then we better be about the business of doing our jobs, brethren, so that we grow in that faith. Well, for faith to really work and to get results, it's got to be full of love and it's got to be coupled with hope. That's right. It's got to be full of love and coupled with hope. 
if we don't share the purpose of God and what he is doing, if we don't believe what it said here in Malachi, and excuse me, in Micah 4, if we don't understand what's really being said here, that these times and these days will really come on this earth, then brethren, we're, we're not really sharing the purposes of God. We're not really living it. We're not really believing it inside of us. And uh, if we have our own ideas or our own thoughts or our own doctrines or our own approaches, brethren, we are just not going to have the faith to move the mountains that we need when it counts, when the chips are down, as they say. You know, brethren, faith is also spoken of about in the context of a mustard seed of faith built on a foundation of love coupled with hope. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, love for these three, but the greatest of these is love. That's right. It has to be on a foundation of love. Last year at the Feast of Tabernacles, I gave a sermon based on what uh, Mr. Ames had done uh, for a previous sermon on unconditional love. I'm sure you can go on to our website and check out several sermons by Dr. Meredith and Mr. Ames and Dr. Winnell and the others here at headquarters and those of ministers around the world, the feast sermons and so on in your local area and check out the ones on unconditional love or the Father's love that I did last year at the feast. And I and check yourself and see, have I grown since 2011 to 2012? Last year, I challenged you, brethren, to really grow in this way of life and faith. But notice what also here is a key word, abide. Notice that word, abide, and now abide. This word means to remain, to tarry. Not to depart, to continue to be present, to be held, kept, to continue to be, not to perish, to last, to endure to the end. And now, to endure to the end is faith, hope, and love. Brethren, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Will that endure to the end? Will you have that seed of faith that will help you to endure to the end? These three together, brethren, uh, but faith is to endure on top of this. Listen to what it says in Galatians 5 and verse 6. On top of this, you know, encompassing this and <clears throat> in, encapsulating this, this love is, is, is also permeated all the way through with faith. Notice this. Because in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, I'm reading this out of the Bible in basic English, having circumcision or not having circumcision are equally of no profit. But only faith, notice that, working through love, this is what produces the effect in our lives that we want, brethren. The faith that will move mountains. It's got to work through love. If we don't have the love, brethren, and we don't have the connectivity of the hope in the scriptures, then there's no way, brethren, we're going to be able to stimulate and stir up that faith inside of us, in a sense, stirring up the Holy Spirit. This is the, this word here, uh, working through is energy. 
in a sense, E-N-E-R-G-E-O in the Greek, meaning to operate, to be at work. You know, the connectivity of the power to plug into that source, in a sense, that's God's Holy Spirit, true, but it's that faith because that Believing, having more of God's Holy Spirit in prayer energizes us and gives us more of a desire to go forward and face the challenges in a cold environment, brethren, as we are watered in that cold environment. That is the operation of God's love and of his purpose in our lives, his plan and his way of life, brethren, that motivates us, that operates us. It gives us the energy to complete this job, to complete this work. We have to be thinking of others besides ourselves. We have to think outside of ourselves, And this is true love. And the one of mustard seed that can produce many more seeds as the plant grows, becomes strong in faith. Now think about it. You have one seed. You say, I have so very little I I could contribute, whatever that is, in, in time and energy or whatever it may be. Brethren, think about this. That one seed can produce more seeds of faith. More belief in other ways of understanding and and true ways of living. As you operate within the church of God, as you live within the church of God, as you help and give and serve, there are so many ways, brethren, that we can build and grow. And that brings us to the main point of this entire sermon. As we look at the faith, as we understand the praying and all that is involved, it really is living toward or leaning towards us living and practicing the give way of life. The give way of life, brethren. When love is coupled with hope, brethren, and wrapped in an envelope of faith, we are full then of the give way of life. Because our thoughts are outside of ourselves, We're giving to others. Is it any wonder that God led Mr. Armstrong and then later Mr. Meredith and others to reflect this give way of life? You know, Mr. Meredith is very, very dedicated at his age to continue on to do this work, brethren. And so are many of the leaders in God's church. And yet at the same time, they could have easily have retired from service and who would have you know necessarily thought any more about it but they have given their lives totally and completely to the very end and that is the give way of life we must give in every area of our life brother and this will build that faith it will it will help us stimulate that faith as we couple it with prayer as we couple it with more of god's holy spirit then we give and we have those works that reflect that faith. It's not normal or natural for the human mind to give. The human mind wants to receive, wants to have it incoming, brethren. But our willingness to give are seeds of faith, of us stepping out. And, you know, say it's even inviting someone to dinner. Are we inviting someone to dinner? Do you expect them to invite us back again? Or do we invite expecting nothing in return except to give the good gifts that we have to give to them to serve others, brethren? Think about that. 
God the Father has shown us that give way of life through Jesus Christ. And it amazes me that so many of us at times fail to understand that the kingdom of God is more than just a a government coming to this earth. Yes, that government is coming to this earth, but why? Because dedicated individuals have totally and completely given themselves, beginning with all the examples we've seen back since the beginning of time with the dedicated prophets throughout those years and holy men of old and then of course jesus christ the capstone coming and fulfilling all of the prophecies to the time when jesus christ will come again and will serve and to give to all humankind and to love them and to give them all of the beauty that we saw in micah 4 you know each of us brethren has that responsibility to really reflect that Christ-like way of life. Because if we're not reflecting it now, if we're not giving ourselves now totally in, in living as living sacrifices, as Romans says, then, brethren, how can we expect in the future to, to be a part of that government that will surely come to this earth and will take charge and will live righteously, as we saw in Malachi 4 and verse 3, and shall judge among the people? How can a one serve as a judge, as we know from Revelation 20, and yet not do the kind of things in their lives today as a fully, totally committed Christian? It is that whole message in the Bible from beginning to end, the entire Word of God, because every scripture is for profit, for our profit, I should say. Luke 6 and verse 38. Notice what it says here in Luke 6 and verse 38. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Our acts of obedience, brethren, towards the great God in serving him and giving even when it may seem like it's pointless to give. Giving, our acts of obedience, are seeds of faith, a willingness, brethren, to obey when it seems, humanly speaking, that is, that what God says to do is unworkable. A good example would be the Sabbath. And, you know, brethren, if we're working on a day when there's a commanded assembly or we're We're taking our own pleasure on that day instead of coming to church services and learning and growing or perhaps in tithing, you know, first, second or third tithe to really tithe and do the things that we're supposed to do properly, brethren. It may seem like that's that's something that we can't do or when a little white lie is the right thing in our mind eye, mind's eye to do, but in God's word, brethren, it may not be. You know, the truth is no uh, untruths are, are appropriate, brethren, and we need to have that focus because everywhere we will see in tomorrow's world will be truth. Everywhere we look today are full of all types of lies because there are no white lies as we know. I hope you appreciate my my humor. But, you know, the truth is, brethren, this in this world, there is nothing, nothing that this world has to offer that any of us should even want. Even the physical things of this world are going to be done away with. 
and all of the politics and all of the maneuvering and all of everything that is going on in this world, especially before the, the presidential election, is not going to change, brethren, until Jesus Christ and a soon-coming government of dedicated individuals who have committed themselves to doing what is right in obedience because they gave of themselves now in the righteous ways to really change, brethren, it will be then measured back to us. Peter said in Mark 10 and verse 28, then Peter began to say to him, see, we may have left all, we, we, excuse me, we have left all and followed you. That's right, brethren. Have we left all and followed God? Total commitment. And it takes faith to give. It takes faith to love. It takes faith to obey something that God says to do, especially in the times that we're living in. Are we learning the lessons of the give way of life in order for your seed of faith to grow? We all need to express love in believing hope and faith. And it gets back to faith, brethren. It just ultimately gets back to it. The faith to step out and do what we know is godly right to do, brethren. Let's understand that, brethren. The give way of life also reflects a way of giving bountifully, you know, giving generously. And then we can expect God to give to us. Sometimes people say that, uh, well, uh, I prayed and prayed and prayed, and if God would only change my circumstances, I would keep the Sabbath more, uh, uh, more properly or whatever. The fact is, is that we have to do our part first, brethren. And we pray that God would change the circumstances. Time and time I've seen it happen in my own life on keeping the Sabbath, where God has moved mountains in my life that seemed impossible. And as I said last year at the Feast of Tabernacles, speaking in Glenwood Springs, speaking and telling everyone that I felt that even if a simple phone call were to be made, that nothing could be resolved. And yet, at the same time, the phone rang and everything was resolved. It's amazing how God can work out circumstances, and he's working behind the scenes 24-7 to really make things work for each of us if we just have that seed of faith and allow it to germinate and to grow so that we eventually can blossom into that beautiful lotus flower. You know, we can't give something um, that we don't have, but each of us has the time to give of ourselves, brethren, and that's something that we can give. It takes faith to give. It takes practice in doing good to learn how to give and to serve the give way of life. So we've seen through prayer, through more of God's Holy Spirit, and living this give way of life, brethren, we can stimulate and build that faith in our lives. Listen to what God says in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 6 through the Apostle Paul. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So there you have it. It's a promise from God. So if we sow sparingly, we're going to reap uh, sparingly. But the reverse is also true. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always <coughs> having sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. That's right. If we have a problem of being discouraged, then give encouragement, brethren. If we have a problem with uh, uh, not uh, observing the Sabbath as well as we should, then talk to others and let the iron sharpen the iron. If we have a financial problem, then even if we don't have the money to give, maybe we need to give of ourselves and let that little grain of mustard seed germinate inside of us, brethren, to put God to the test that he has promised to give back to us for those things that we give and immeasurably and bountifully, if we give bountifully. Of course, we're not to act foolishly, give things that we don't have, because that would not really be giving. That's giving of something that belongs to someone else, especially if we give of our rent so that we can't pay our own rent. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is is that we give, brethren, of things that sometimes it, it involves beyond just financial or money, but of time and energy and of all of the other things that truly become a part of our of our whole give way of life. Then when we step out on faith, brethren, and in doing so receive those blessings, do we forget God? I know at times it's easy. We pray and pray, and finally then a situation is resolved. Do we thank God, or do we just go, wow, it's over with, and now we're going on with our lives? You know, brethren, we have a responsibility to practice this give way of life, even by being thankful to the great God in heaven for the things that he has given to us. We're to seek God with all our hearts and continually give back. Notice in Philippians 4 and verse 19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in the glory of Christ Jesus. Now, we may think our need is, you know, a bigger house, a bigger car, a bigger something else. But, you know, brethren, he says he will provide all of our needs, all our need. And we can't ever buy it. Notice in Acts 20 and verse 35, I have shown you in every way, as it says in Acts 20 and verse 35, by laboring like this, that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, brethren, it's very clear in James, in James, very clear from what the apostle James says in James 2, but Someone will say, if you have faith, in verse 18, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. And uh, that, you know, even the demons, you know, Satan knows. (laughs) He knows what your potential is going to be. He does not want you to achieve that. I would think that fact alone, brethren, would help all of us to understand at times when we get discouraged or we get frustrated over a situation or we have a disagreement in our families or a disagreement in in the churches of God that we would understand that we've got to have faith and trust God and move forward on our knees, as Dr. Meredith has said. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So says James, you believe that there is one God, you do well. 
That's right. Even the demons believe, as I said, and they tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, what that faith without works is dead? That's right, brethren. That little mustard seed would not grow and will not germinate into that beautiful lotus flower, as we heard in our first story at the very beginning, unless, brethren, each of us understands that it must be coupled with what we've heard here, and that is in a, in a uh, foundation of love, sitting on a foundation of love, coupled with hope, especially in the scriptures that we understand. And in this particular scripture, key scripture that we're studying today is Micah 4, Micah 4, and the first five verses, that's a capstone for the Feast of Tabernacles, brethren, and understanding that it must be wrapped in an envelope of faith. In Mark 11, in verse 22, so Jesus answered and said, have faith in God. Do we? Is our mustard seed growing and trusting God? For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart. Do we say, well, maybe, maybe God will do that, or do we believe it? But believes that those things, he says, will be done. Do we believe, brethren, that we will become a member in God's family? Or does it seem too impossible and the odds too great? Notice what it goes on to say. Do you believe that those things will be done? He will have whatever he says. Brethren, in many cases, the control is within us. We have that control to pray more to request and beseech God for more of his Holy Spirit so that the, the, um, the fruits of that Holy Spirit are evident in our lives and so that the miracles that we've seen in the first century church are shown in the church of God. Brethren, each of us needs to beseech God and to pray and to really pray. As Dr. Meredith has said in one of his recent Co-worker letters, prophecy is moving forward at such a, uh, an incredible clip. If this were the times in the past, why those of those of the past would be preaching strong words. And now we're hearing those same strong messages today. <clears throat> are we going to sleep or are we developing that faith? Notice what else it says. Therefore, I say to you in verse 24 of Mark 11. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you will receive them. Now, brethren, we have to ask according to God's will. I want, you know, several million dollars is is not necessarily God's will. He says he'll provide by our needs. But he says, believe that you will receive them. And if you ask for more of God's Holy Spirit, he's bound to give that to you. Because that will help you develop your seed of faith. In the recent book that I read on how to bring out the best in people at their worst. That's a a very interesting book. How to Bring Out the Best in People at Their Worst. Dr. Rick Brinkman and Dr. Rick Kirchner state clearly that this powerful key to bringing out the best in people is to, quote, give them the benefit of the doubt, 
assume a positive intent behind their problem behavior, and then deal with them through the lens of understanding, unquote. What a beautiful quote that is. And if those in this world understand that, how much more of those in the church of God should understand this, brethren? I remember a personal example of traveling internationally sometimes can be a challenge because, you know, your time schedules are off and your body clocks are off and so on. And uh, flights are not necessarily on time, whether it be domestic today or international traveling. And we were staying in a high-rise hotel in one, one Caribbean location. And it was a beautiful setting and so on. Um, But uh, we just didn't have the service because they were having intermittent strikes and so on. And uh, so one day I decided a different approach. We really needed some bath towels, just some simple little things that, you know, we might consider to be just the normal average service. And we wouldn't normally present a gratuity for that. But we decided, uh, my wife and I and my daughter, that we would just leave a $5 bill right there on the dresser and just say thank you for the place because it was clean and there was, you know, some basic services there. And I realized they were short-staffed and there were other problems. I got back in the afternoon after church services at the feast and there was a beautiful note saying, God bless you. God bless you for understanding and <clears throat> the situations and, and an apology. And, and there were stacks and stacks and stacks of towels. It was an incredible scene. There was all sorts of things in our room. And, you know, I realized then that sometimes, brethren, we can't always measure things by what we see, but we have to go beyond and give. We have to present that give way of life in faith that God's going to give back to us. It's a a wonderful lesson that we were taught years ago. And that particular Feast of Tabernacles was particularly wrought with a number of issues that had gone on that year and a lot of challenges. And we could have easily have been in, in a lousy frame of mind. But brethren, we're at the Feast of Tabernacles. And each of us has a responsibility to serve one another and to give to each other and to love one another and to really reflect that true way of life. Now, sincerely, brethren, we need to understand, if we are to give other human beings the benefit of doubt, should we not at least afford God and Jesus Christ the same courtesy? When they say they will do something for us, believe it, brethren. Step out with that seed of faith. You know, it's hard sometimes to say that, knowing that we have faced, and my wife and I and my daughter and son-in-law, we have faced a number of trials together, from health trials to you name it. We have been through it. We really have. And sometimes when we look back, we could have focused on the selfish aspects in life. And at times, quite frankly, we did. And things didn't go as well. But when we started to reflect outside of ourselves, praying, uh, and and really asking for more of God's Holy Spirit and searching for the answers as to why we're going through a situation. You know, God showed us so many things, brethren. He really did. And it was exciting, and it has been exciting. And so here we are, at least me, 46 years, and my wife over 50 years in God's church. And, um, you know, it's it's just been a rewarding road to be on. It really has been. And it's exciting to us. But once we've planted that seed and we've done all of these things, brethren, we really got to hold out to the end. We really do. We've got to hold on. 
We've got to endure to the end. We've got to have that energy inside of us to make it to the end. Galatians 6 and verse 9 is very clear. Galatians 6 and verse 9, it says, And let us not grow weary while doing good. It's so clear that we could grow weary, brethren. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Let's not lose heart, brethren, as we go forward into this world in the future, you know, beyond uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. We don't know what that future may bring. But therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. That's right. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially of those who are our brothers and sisters who are sitting right next to us at the Feast of Tabernacles right now. Or if you're listening to this on a, on a, uh, <clears throat> on a video at home or at another time, brethren, how can you take the lessons that you're learning here and apply them in your life? You see, that requires us to maintain a God-fearing relationship at all times, brethren. Always repentant, always dedicated, always obedient, always giving, and so forth. Yes, brethren, always not growing weary. Let us remove the roadblocks in our lives to faith, brethren, to letting that seed of faith germinate. As an example, lack of prayer. Whenever we're tempted not to pray, we need to continue forward. Failure to walk with God, failure to walk with God on a daily basis is a chronic problem in the churches of God. You know, each of us, brethren, in, in the church of God, each of us has that responsibility, that duty to get up in the morning and to seek God early and then throughout the day. Let our seed of faith grow into full power, firmly, firmly established in a watered ground of love and connected with hope. Be thankful as a child of God that the substance of things that we haven't seen in the end, brethren, we will see. In the end, that time of love will overtake this entire world. It will encompass everyone and every, and as love grows cold, you, brethren, and all of us together as one team, let's grow stronger in that love, hope, and wrapped, as I said, in that envelope of faith. With that seed inside of us growing and nurturing, and one day we will definitely become that lotus flower, that beautiful lotus flower. Hebrews 11 and verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, as I conclude, brethren, I'd like to pose a question that Christ posed. Notice what he says here. He says in Luke 18, Luke 18, very clear what he says. And then he spoke in verse 1. He spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not to lose heart. You see, many times we lose heart or we lose that faith. We say, oh, that seed is not growing or it's not going to germinate or or somehow we're going to miss the mark and we're not going to make it. We allow discouragement and then that anguish of that depression that sometimes takes us over. And, you know, brethren, we need to ought to pray and not to lose heart, saying there is a certain 
a city, there was, excuse me, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, here's the question, brethren, will he really find faith on the earth? You see, brethren, each of us as a chosen person of working hard in their Christian struggles daily to put sin out and to live this righteous life. You know, brethren, sometimes we can lose heart and that can overtake us. But don't let that happen. When you're tempted to give in to that kind of pressure, pray, brethren. Really get down on your knees and pray. Ask for more of God's Holy Spirit. And ask that, that in that prayer that you would be allowed to give, to give to others. You know, brethren, sometimes when those who have uh, upset us or offended us, you know, brethren, maybe that's the time we need to pray for that individual. Because as Christ said, they don't know what they're doing. This world doesn't know. This world is going on its merry way, doing whatever it feels like, whatever, whatever kind of thing it feels is right. But what is right is what, is what we are doing, brethren, in the churches of God. We are living by those words of faith, brethren. I hope we are. By letting that seed of faith grow inside of us, that little mustard seed. As I said, I had a story at the end. Listen to this story of an individual who was not converted, brethren, a famous general. And what happened because of something that he believed in? Again, as we started with belief of a humble individual, of an archaeologist who in Japan had uh, stumbled across this uh, little tiny dormant seed that eventually grew into that beautiful lotus flower. We also see another demonstration of someone who, as I said, was not converted and yet demonstrated faith in God. What about us, brethren, as we reflect on Micah 4, verses 1 through 5, as we studied in the very beginning of this particular sermon? A wonderful time at the Feast of Tabernacles. I'd like you to think about this particular story. It was a very cold and a dismal time in December. A desperate time for the Allies in World War II. As the weather continued to worsen, a difficult time for sure to have faith, brethren, in anything. When all looks grim. It was such a day in 1944, that the famous prayer you have heard so much about was read by General George Patton. And as you recall the story, 
a man by the name of Mr. James O'Neill, was the one who actually wrote that prayer. If you remember the scene from the movie, it was relatively accurately presented from all the accounts and from the books and those accounts that were written. And it was interesting, brethren. It was a difficult time to have faith for sure. But this was the time that General Patton decided to call on God. And listen to what he said. This was the prayer that was written, and uh, it may reflect at times the uh, prayer that each of us uh, needs to think about just a little bit. It says, Almighty God and most merciful Father, we humbly beseech thee of the great goodness to restrain those immoderate rains with which we've had to contend. Has it been raining in your life, brethren? Has it been a trial this year in 2012? Has it been difficult and you're wondering if you can go on to 2013? Well, brethren, listen. Listen to what George Patton read and believed as we go on and read the rest of the story. Grant us fair weather for battle. We have a Christian battle, brethren. We really do. Graciously hearken unto us as soldiers, Christian soldiers, if you please, brethren, who call upon you armed with your power, that we may advance from victory to victory and crush the oppression and the wickedness of our enemies and establish your justice among men and nations. Unquote. You know, brethren, that's what we are all about. Eventually, we will crush all of the oppression of this world. And we have to remain dedicated and have that seed of faith grow in us. It's got to grow. But indeed, let's read the rest of this story. The words that came on a three-by-five card may seem at times a little um, trite in a way, but when we look at the bigger struggles of our, you know, Satan, society, and even our own selves, as Mr. Ames has said, the three S's, and when we look at these things, You know, brethren, General George Patton didn't let that stop him, the roadblocks of war. What about us, brethren? Are we going to let something in this world stop us from achieving the goal of really changing this entire world to bring about world peace, to bring about the love on this earth to encompass this world? Listen to what Mr. O'Neill continues to write. He says, as I pondered the question to write this prayer that General Patton had asked him to write, I reported to General Patton, and he read the prayer that he had eventually and subsequently written, and and he returned it to me with a casual directive. Have 250,000 copies printed and see to it that every man in the Third Army gets one. The size of the order amazed Mr. O'Neill. It was certainly doing something about the weather in a big way. Then he said, Chaplain, sit down for a moment. I want to talk to you about this business of prayer. He said, Chaplain, how much praying is being done in the Third Army? To this, Mr. O'Neill responded, I'm afraid to admit it, but I do not believe that much praying is going on. Prayer out here is difficult. And you have to consider the conditions, war conditions, people seeing death and dying everywhere. 
Sometimes, brethren, it's hard to really focus. It's hard to pray and then ask of God for more of his Holy Spirit in this type of an environment that we see all around us in this world, this cold world. But this is exactly the time that we need to have more of that, more prayer, more of God's Holy Spirit, more of the give way of life, and certainly allowing that seed of faith to really germinate into something fantastic and beautiful. So he goes on to say, Mr. O'Neill, I am a strong believer in prayer, Patton said. There are three ways that men get what they want, by planning, by working, and by praying. And many of us in the Church of God do a lot of planning and a lot of working, but do we do the prayer, brethren, that brings on faith? Listen to what he said, and perhaps it would be a small lesson to each of us. We're here an unconverted individual, brethren, who someday will be resurrected and will be looking around for individuals to instruct him. And where will those representatives come from, the representatives that are being trained right now? Did they listen to the instructions of faith and follow through? He says, as he goes on, brethren, that, um, that then you must have well-trained troops to carry it out. That's working. But between the plan and the operation, there is always the unknown. That unknown spells defeat or victory, success or failure. That's right. Some people call that getting the breaks. I call it God. You see, God... Even in this particular situation, General Patton understood that it was God who was going to give him the victory so that God has his part in everything. What about us? Do we see God as giving us that victory over this way of life onto a new way of life, brethren? That's where prayer comes in. So he said, he goes on to Say, do some comparisons to Gideon's army. And then he says, I wish you to put out a training letter on the subject of prayer to all the chaplains. Write nothing else, just the importance of prayer. We've got to get not only the chaplains, but also every man in the third army to pray. We must ask God to stop these rains. And then he goes on with some further comments. But can you imagine that happening today, brethren? Can you? In this atmosphere of faith that General Patton was trying to instill into his, into his army, we would see so many victories in our country if we just humbled ourselves before our God. How much more should each of us in the churches of God humble ourselves? Listen to what the final memo said. Parts of it are very clear here. Listen to this, and I'll read just a portion of it. Urge all your men to pray, not only in church, but everywhere. Pray when driving. Pray when fighting. Pray alone. Pray with others. Pray by night and pray by day. Pray for the, sensa- the cessation of immoderate rains, for good weather, for battle. Pray for peace. This army needs the assurance and the faith that God is with us. With prayer, we cannot fail. Yes, brethren, this army, this Christian army, this church of God, the living church of God, 
And all of us, brethren, needs the seed of faith to move mountains based on a foundation of love in hope, full of the give way of life and poised to grow into a strong, fully grounded son or daughter of God. It starts with a mustard seed of faith, and it's built on love in hope, brethren. And it is come to pass Eventually, it will encompass the entire world. Believe it, brethren. Believe it. So what's in a seed, as I asked towards the beginning of the sermon? Believing real faith. That's what's in a seed. A mustard seed of faith that moves mountains, brethren. Let's move those mountains with real growing faith based on love in hope. Brethren, have a wonderful rest of the Feast of Tabernacles 2012, and let's move those mountains in our lives with our mustard seed of faith growing inside of us, and eventually we'll be that beautiful lotus flower.